0: We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership.
1: I'll start with the hero's journey and then we'll come back to the flywheel thing and continue that chat. I think the hero's journey is specifically to do with going in the opposite direction of what everybody's doing. And with the hero's journey, I think when interviews were new, whether it was in TV or radio format and advanced interviewers were asking beautifully constructed questions to paint to take a picture of someone's life versus the average business podcaster who in 20 minutes hasn't quite gotten to the point of the episode that's where my rant lives is that is not the only format everybody's doing it a lot of people are executing it not fantastically, like not in a way the the reader or the the listener has to sift through the material to get into the meat of it. So that was why the take on the death to the hero's journey.
2: And now the conclusion of our interview with Susan Dines.
0: I want to call out one particular thing that you just mentioned, and this is something that just drives me insane. And I'm a salesman, so I'm not even in the marketing world. So if it annoys me, I can't imagine how much it annoys. The really good marketers that are in my network, and it's all this whole idea about enterprises developing customer personas without ever actually talking to a customer drives me nuts. Like, why yeah. would you do that? It, it, and again, it goes back to one of the earlier points that you mentioned. Our opinion of what, fit, what we think is important to our customers is not important, it's actually the customer opinion of what's important to the customer. That's is what's important. So, why in the world would you? Persona, not ever to Sorry,
1: right no that's important i want to drill down on that for a second it's these assumptions that you're making and like ego let's be honest let's call it what it is you've got there's a level of ego which you no know, but am i this is the way in which it's always been done or this is the way in which you know we are most likely to i don't know attract xyz person maybe your customer Different person, how about you go talk to them and find out? So I don't think I have any patience for people who don't get that done.
2: I think a lot of that comes from go. So this is my plug for because somehow I'm always going to work DEI into this, into conversations. But I think this is a great example of what that really is, is unconscious bias. We are going based off of our own assumptions of what we think people want. And so this is why Jim and I oftentimes talk about DEI being such a broader conversation that if you're solving for this area over here, which is, that's where unconscious bias is is most likely attached to is DEI. But Susan, what you just described is unconscious bias where we sit back and what Jim said, I know what the customer needs, but that's based off what you think. But what does the customer think? Have we asked? And I think it's also lazy. We fall back on what we've always done, which is I think the death of any sort of innovation and you're looking for really reaching out to individuals to that point as you when you built the podcast initially how did you start to hear from your how did you start to hear from your customer and how did you drive that conversation
1: we practiced like that consistency that i would say is the first step now the next part of it and why I started to mention the fun is that we really leaned into the fun. So oddly enough, it was the photos that came out of our podcast that seemed to attract people's attention. So it was called 4M Report. And so we had photos of Will and I doing these weird things that you would imagine people would do when they're up at night. So like I'd, there was a photo of me in my like robe eating Lay's dill pickle chips in front of my computer at night. And see, I I have like degrees in marketing. I have awards. I've done great work, but I'm best known for my picture with dill pickle chips.
0: <laughs> so when this video comes out from the podcast, that face that I just made when I heard about your affinity for <laughs> dill pickle chips is going to be a cleat <laughs> meme. Oh my God, that's horrible. Oh, I don't think we, I, the show's over.
1: No, clearly. <laughs> this is a deal breaker.
2: It's hilarious. So Susan, you talked a little bit about the fun that you have and it gave yeah. rise to your book, Unboring. What's that about?
1: So Unboring is about adding entertainment to your content. I think we've learned as a, a set of communicators how to do really well informing. Like we do a brilliant job of educating in our content of like putting forward great material, which gives you learnings, what might lack in some degree, especially noticeable after the pandemic, because people just need a little levity and a little lightness and a little kindness. I think people want you to make them smile, like whether it's the prevalence of GIFs and memes, or whether it's the fact that people have gotten more comfortable getting like humorous in their writing, or look at us here. We're laughing through this podcast because we're having fun and it's okay to show that to people. So that's the premise of the book is like, how do you step away from those rules? So there's 10, 10 lessons through the book about how to get less boring, how to perfect your timing. Most people, the resistance I would get to this is, oh, that's possible with all these big brands like Burger King and whatever. And it's not possible in the B2B space. I beg to defer. And we have, the book has loads of examples on that. The way I got to that, if I may, is because of the podcast. We started asking people like, what keeps you up at night? And after we'd asked about a hundred guests, what keeps you up at night? There were humorous answers in it. There was wit, there was self-deprecation, there was fun. And we were like, initially we said, maybe the name of the book is The State of Sleeplessness. That's where we started And then we realized there was a bit more of a Venn diagram sort of situation. And then in the middle there was this. So I wrote the book under the name of The Other EQ, but that sounded too cerebral. Again, going back to our theme, folks, I asked the people who would read the book, would you rather call it unboring or would you rather call it The Other EQ? And 85% said I would rather call it unboring. So I did.
0: I want to interject because I remember this happening on LinkedIn as you were going through the process, or I don't know what stage you were at, but it was not only that. Pick between this title or that title. This will give you a little bit of insight into how some Indians are. And by some Indians, I'm like this too. So Susan's question was okay, now we've decided that the title of the book is going to be unboring. So, what's your vote on whether the U and the N should be capitalized, or should the boring be capitalized, or right. some version of that? Oh yeah, he that's actually right. set up a poll on LinkedIn to have people decide whether the un or the boring or the U and the N. Like it was, it was crazy. Told totally yeah, you I
1: see pattern, folks. That's my yeah. superpower, and also. I do practice what I preach when we ask the customer for God's sake. So yeah, that's, thank you for reminding me of that, Jim. I feel quite proud of myself.
0: (laughs) This all ties into is the whole concept of how do you build a brand? How do you have a point of view? All of these things are related, but I want to go back to something that you just said a few minutes ago, because You've introduced this in a couple of areas in the conversation oh. where you're talking about, hey, the prevailing wisdom. And for those that are listening to this episode, I use prevailing wisdom and use their quotes. A lot of that prevailing wisdom is the whole idea that B2B has to be boring to boring it's is dumb. Awesome. Yeah. And what, what do we have to do to advance any sort of relationship with any other person that we have to get to a point where they know you? Right, so if you're this complete stiff going through this th- going through life in any interaction, people aren't going to know you. They're probably not going to like you, and they certainly won't trust you. Let's be real. Bring your personality into it. And plot twist: I'm probably one of the stiffest people out in the world that is telling you to bring personality into your relationships. So get with it, people. Don't be boring.
2: I think Susan hit on uh, some other brilliant elements too is, is that, so when you think about COVID, what COVID caused was this whole virtual interconnectedness. And it allowed for us to start to see one another behind the veil. And what I heard as you were talking was you saw the pattern in the trends that were on social, for example, there was a, there, there were, a litany of at least articles or posts that i saw about people saying they were pulling down their professional images and showing i think there was one actually and i can't remember the number it, when i say viral it was viral because i want to say it was like 500 interactions that this person had but it was a woman who really took down her professional picture and put up her like just getting out of the shower having letting her hair dry or whatever and so many people like literally half a million people responded. It was something really incredible. I think it's brilliant though that you saw the trend and saw that pattern, which is why no kudos to ourselves because we can see patterns, but it's just brilliant. And I appreciate that it it actually, the culmination was the book Unboring.
1: Thank you. And that's why when I talk about like the flywheel, it feels a little. I didn't invent this. Like Jim Collins talked about something that was on a steam engine like 200 years ago. And then there was Rand Fishkin who came up with the idea of how you apply that into marketing. I'm just one of the believers in the fact that if you're going to do something, you it has to be about momentum. Like I cannot stay in one place. Whether it's my choice of where I live, how I do things, just static is not my thing. And so with a flywheel, I just, I look back now 170 something episodes into our podcast. And I was like, how did we manage before this? Like we had a decent marketing plan, like we did stuff, but it just like, when I think about it, it's trying to think back to a life without a cell phone is how I would feel about living a life without one of these engines. If I didn't know that the following actions have to happen and then out of this comes a blog and then out of this comes that email and then out of this comes five social posts, which I will snip it out and make notes about. And that's what fuels my entire LinkedIn presence. Like without that, like I wouldn't have been able to do it. And that's why so many people are not able to stick with it because you're approaching it ad hoc. It's, oh, come in one day, see how I feel about it. And then, okay, today I'm not feeling like it. Like, if I didn't have the podcast, it'd be many days I wouldn't have felt like it and it wouldn't have happened.
0: What you're describing is sort of the fundamental constraints that every organization and every individual deals with. You have limited time and resources and you have limited energy to execute a given amount of tasks and you're dealing with multiple priorities. So when you talk about the anchor content concept, you tied it to a couple of other things that you just mentioned. So. Let's break that down in in detail. So you have anchor content, and then you talked about snippeting it out. You talked about a number of different steps. So in the interest of helping people be more efficient, helping people maximize the value that they have, give us sort of a roadmap of how you create that flywheel using the anchor content.
1: I like to say that there are four main formats of marketing content there's written, there's audio, there's video, and then there's visual. And when I say visual, your infographics and your like checklists and playbooks and that sort of thing. So when you're anchoring, you anchor in one of these four formats. Pick a format. Are you a writer? Stick with writing. Are you a Podcaster, like you like the audio medium, head in that direction. So that's the anchor. Now, once you've done that, you have to flip it, snippet it out into all of the other formats. So that's the thinking behind it. So you've got this one large podcast or this one 30 minute webinar in video form. Like, how do you take it and maximize it from a distribution perspective? Is that five videos? Is that two or three audiograms? Is that 10 second, like, stories like what is it so that process of breaking it out into various formats that's the short form of it now that's just scratching the surface like beyond that like you get much more detailed if you want one thing we've done with our podcast in the beginning we we couldn't obviously afford to put as much effort into our own podcast as we were doing with others so we didn't necessarily write a big long blog post for every single episode that we were recording We would put some show notes together, release this. And instead we'd snippet it into shorter, shall we say like quotes that we would pull out, et cetera. Then we started putting the transcript up because we were like, at least it's going to count from an SEO perspective that's at an accessibility perspective that if someone wants to read, they can read through it. So we started putting a little note there saying this is artificially generated, but for accessibility, it's available. Then came the third step, which was, we got writers on the team, and then we started writing our own blog post and now it's gotten to a point where from the same episode different people will write different blog posts like i i write my own which is specifically that part about the, here's how to stay on track with podcasting. There's another one that's written about the writing series. There's somebody else who writes about something else. So you see how from that one piece we've now extended out of it, we have a book, we have a video series, we have an award show. Did this happen in one year? No, it took three years, but we're never really off course. Like we're just, it's just the next step, the next circle of that wheel and it keeps moving.
2: You talk about this a little bit. But for the for the novice, what would you say would be like the initial way to to organize? I I love what you said. And I think that we are patting on the back. So if you can't see us, I think we're we're following a lot of what you're a lot of what you're saying. I feel good about that. But if you're brand spanking new and someone's thinking about it, because Jim has said this a couple of times, right, that it's not only about B, but an individual, right, that's interested in cultivating their brand could do this as well. 100%.
1: So the first step is audit. Whoever you are, you've probably got some material of some sort. You've probably either authored something, maybe you've done something through the role that you were in previously. Maybe you were on other people's podcasts, you know, where you've talked about something. Maybe there's a bunch of content that you've commented on on LinkedIn and made some excellent points. So I think the first step is to just go look at all of that. And again, try to see if there's a pattern. So you start with that. Then I think you need to, and this is not an absolute answer, but I think you need to get clear about what your key messaging is. Like at least narrow it down to two to three pillars and you get bring that further and further down after. But I don't think you can be talking about too many things. Like I'm very tempted on some occasions to be like, I want to talk about this. And I also want to talk about this. And I've got a whole lot of, material on UX writing but I don't pull it out all the time and publish because I'm like focus just get really narrow about those two to three pillars so I think that would be the next step and then really getting familiar with what is that format you don't have to do something where there's friction if you hate video like that's not the only way to get like regularly communicating find a different way If you don't like the sound of your own voice and you don't have someone like my partner, Will Lamont, to hold your hand and take you through that, don't do podcasts. Find something else that you like better. If you're a great teacher and everyone's telling you webinars are dead, maybe they're not dead for you. Find the format, I think, medium that is like your favorite And then after that, it's all in the execution. I think discipline, it doesn't sound sexy to a lot of people, but you got to have the discipline. It's like every Tuesday we send out an email, like every Wednesday we publish on the blog, every Thursday the blog post comes out. If we didn't have that kind of core regimented discipline, it wouldn't happen.
2: I wanted to call out that when you talk about that discipline and how important it is, the upside too is that the UX content that you have a passion for also allows for a pivot so it's the ability to continue doing what you're doing, but just in, a, in another vertical, not very far away. And I have conversations about with folks about the idea, like they have all these ideas and I'm always trying to help them to bring them back so that when they have to pivot, let's say you've mastered one area, like it, you don't go from learning how to ride a bike to driving in NASCAR, right? So I love the idea of, not shying away from having content, but just being disciplined enough not to just spackle everything out there.
0: There's two things that caught my attention when you were talking, Susan. One is in line with what we just pointed out about the discipline concept. But I think one of the areas where a lot of people confuse the discipline element of it is that, oh, if I do it once a month or whatever, some sort of long span between instances. I think when we're looking at getting to the zone of genius, you have to have pigheaded discipline to execute the task on a daily basis, in my opinion, because that's the only way that you'll iterate to the point where you're at the level where it's autopilot. But the mm-hmm. other thing that that's interesting about your pivoting com- comment, or at least your ideas on pivoting, is that when you look at all the skills that a person has, and, and the mainstream of content that they put out, Those sub areas that aren't, quote unquote, on brand, but you're interested in offer an opportunity for pattern interruption in the minds of the people that are actually consuming your content. So that way they don't get dulled to, oh, here's Susan with the same thing again. And you see this pop of, oh, Susan knows about UX because your consumers change all the time. So you have to like deliberately, in addition to being disciplined, you have to deliberately insert pattern interruption into your cadence so that you're keeping things fresh in the minds of your consumer you can be deliberate about that effort and identify areas, hey, I want to get better at this thing. So let me just start doing it and using that as a pattern interruption in my cadence to drive content out in the world.
1: I think essentially, again, it's, about, it's a little bit about focus. You do have to figure out within that pattern interrupt as well what it is you want to be creating as a message, right? Like in my case, why do we have those pieces around UX? And we also have pieces around certain other kinds of specific writing is because they are associated factors to our line of business, to the core craft that many of us on the team have and like things like that. So as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a thoughtful process. If you look at, if you look at like LinkedIn and its creator tools, like they tell you to say, what are the four or five things that you stand for? And within that, sure, you can say marketing, content, marketing, blah, blah. That's not a, this this is not a keyword exercise. This is an area of expertise. So in my case, an LB You'll appreciate this from the mention of I take everything back to a DEI context is like my other podcast, which I run with my very awesome long term friend and colleague is a podcast called ABC DEI. And that podcast is a top 5% global podcast. And right now it's I love working on that. And people ask me, what's the connection? Are you a DEI practitioner? Are you a consultant? I've even been asked by like bankers and such. What is your body of work with DEI? My body of work is my lived experience. And the fact that I could be talking about any number of things. I could be talking about my love of beautiful backgrounds. I could be talking about my love of equipment. But instead, my pattern interrupt is I choose to talk about inclusive communication on the regular, like I choose to show up every Friday and do this as a labor of love. That's how I think about it, Jim. The way I think about it is it has to be a thoughtful process of your pattern interrupt is also core to your key messaging and your overall
0: foundation. We talk often on the show about the the concept and practice of intentionality. So that is really where it ties in.
2: Susan, you have shared and dropped Tons of information for us and for our audience to to actually take in and move our careers further, faster. What are the key takeaways? And I don't think it's going to be 15. It's just two or three key takeaways.
1: I'd say the key takeaways that I'd like you to leave with is really thinking about your natural sort of areas. It sounds a little woo-woo. There's a lot of practice that you can attach to it. But get really clear about what you're good at. Or even if you start from the negative, what you're not so good at and start from there. Secondly, you definitely want to remember that in 2022, there's very few people without a body of work. So look at the pattern in front of you. Like what have you had success executing before? Talk to your customers, get proper intel before you make a plan. And then the third thing is I think you should definitely Stay on track, like no ad hoc and out, ad hoc and out. Give it some cadence, some consistency and discipline. And that usually tends to take you to that execution that you need in order to have some impact.
2: Thank you. And where can folks find you? I know that I've actually seen you frequently on TikTok, but what are the other places that people <laughs> can get
1: in contact I with you? I spend an <laughs> unhealthy amount of time on Tin and TikTok. But yes, that would be a great place to, uh, to find me. Our website is cp.digital, and we have loads of podcasting resources there that you're welcome to check out.
2: Susan, thank you for joining us on Cascading Leadership, the show. As you are also on TikTok, we are too. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So those are the places that folks will wanna check us out to find out when other episodes will drop. But I'm really looking forward to folks listening to this episode and giving us feedback and telling us stories about how they will advance their own opportunities to start their own podcast. We're all here for it. And so thank you again so much for joining Cascade Leadership the show.
0: Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Thanks, Susan. Great show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.